0: Before we read the scripture, let us receive the instruction from the Heidelberg Catechism question and answer number 45. Let us read responsively. What benefit do we receive from the resurrection of Christ? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death that he might make us share in the righteousness which he has obtained for us through his death. Second, We too are now raised by his power to a new life. Third, the resurrection of Christ is a sure pledge to us of our blessed resurrection. And it is that third point which is the primary focus of the sermon this morning. And I would call your attention to the scripture citations listed there for your further meditation. And now let us ask the Lord to bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Glorious Father who raised our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, we rejoice in your great work of salvation and we pray in Jesus' name that through him you will pour out the Holy Spirit upon us afresh and give us ears to hear and hearts to believe the glorious gospel of your Son that we through faith in him might share in his great victory until life everlasting, to the glory of your name. Amen. This morning we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, selected verses, and I want to invite and encourage you to open your Bible now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 for the reading of God's holy word. It is written, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be But a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body it is raised a spiritual body. Verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, where well, the trumpet will sound. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ, be all praise, honor, glory, and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is an Easter like no other in my lifetime. But perhaps our circumstances this morning will remind us that in the words of Romans 8:37, in all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. We are more than victors through him who loved us. And brothers and sisters, that's where our hearts and minds must be focused this morning not on the social isolation, not on our physical separation from one another and our loved ones, not on the fears which trouble the world today, but rather on Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And so on Easter 2020, we say with Christ redeemed people in every nation, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 is sometimes referred to as the resurrection chapter. In it, the Apostle Paul shows us the connection, the union, the organic union between Christ's resurrection and our own resurrection. If indeed we are in union with Jesus Christ through faith in him. The passage begins. Now, I would remind you, brothers, and that includes the women of the church, I would remind you of the gospel I preached to you. Now, let's pause right there. What does the word gospel mean? The word gospel literally means good news, good message. Good news. Now, in our vocabulary today, the word gospel by definition has religious connotations. But in the first century Greco-Roman world, the word gospel was a common word and it was used primarily in the context of the military in a military context. It was the gospel was the good news of victory. The good news of victory in battle from the battlefield. It was the good news that the enemy had been conquered. It was the good news that the war was over. It was the good news that prisoners of war had been set free. It was the good news that there was nothing more to fear. It was the good news that the city or the nation had been saved. It was the good news of victory. That's the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of victory. It is the gospel of God's victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ. And so the gospel which is preached to you is the gospel of the victory which God gives to everyone. The victory over sin and death which God gives to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Now, in this passage, Paul defines in a very concise manner what the definition of the gospel is with an exhortation to hold fast in faith. I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preach to you. In which you received, in which you stand, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, Paul adds that little warning. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, because there were some in the Corinthian church Who were beginning to doubt the very basic truths of the gospel? Evidently, there were some false teachers in Corinth who were saying that the bodies of believers in Christ would not be raised from the dead, that there would be no resurrection of the bodies of believers. And so Paul's message in 1 Corinthians 15 was written precisely to refute these false teachers. He does so, first of all, by reminding the Corinthians of the basic content of the gospel itself. First, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. With regard to the Old Testament scriptures, we could we could cite a number, but Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 come immediately to mind. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Christ died for our sins, because of our sins, due to our sins. Christ died for us due to the punishment we deserved because of our sins. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Secondly, that he was buried. Now, why would his burial be of first importance? Because his burial proved that he had really died. His body had completely expired. He was as dead as dead could be. And it was confirmed by his burial in a specific place which could be identified by eyewitnesses. And the burial of his body was important And is important to Paul's message in 1 Corinthians 15 because the burial of his body was the necessary precondition to the resurrection of his body. The resurrection of his buried body. As we shall see, this becomes very important later on in 1 Corinthians 15. Thirdly, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. With regard to Old Testament Scriptures, the Apostle Paul might be alluding to Hosea chapter 6 and or to the prophet Jonah, who was spit out of the belly of the great fish on the third day. But the point is that Jesus' resurrection from the dead guarantees... That he has done all that he needed to do for the forgiveness of all your sins, your redemption from the curse of death, and your restoration to fellowship with God forever. Jesus' resurrection from the dead secures your justification before God. Having died for your sins, he rose again to clothe you with his righteousness in everlasting life. And therefore, Jesus' resurrection proves that he accomplished what he came to do to save sinners such as you and I. Had Jesus not been raised from the dead, his wonderful life and his heroic self-sacrifice would have been in vain. Did you notice how many times the Apostle Paul uses the word vain in this passage? But his resurrection was his vindication. Jesus' resurrection from the dead was his vindication as the Son of God in power. The one who had the authority to lay down his life and the one who had the authority to take it up again. It proved that he had come. And had accomplished what he had come to do. It proved that God the Father had indeed accepted his sacrifice for sins. And therefore everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of all their sins. And are therefore justified by grace alone through faith alone in him alone. Because what he has done which no one else could or would ever do for you and me he was romans 4 25 delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification so in first corinthians 15 3 and 4 we have a concise summary of the the foundational points of the gospel the good news of victory christ died for our sins he was buried He was raised on the third day. Now, did you notice in those verses, Christ died, he was buried, he was raised on the third day. Those those words have a familiar ring about them, don't they? Of course they do. They sound very much like the core statements of the Apostles' Creed. And indeed, they were no doubt an embryonic form of the Apostles' Creed which was affirmed by Christians in Paul's own day. Well, the Apostle Paul goes on in verses 5 through 7 to remind the Corinthians that there were many people who actually saw Jesus after his resurrection. That is, he appeared to them in his resurrected body not as a luminous spirit, not as a ghost, not as a, an apparition, but as a man raised from the dead. Now, to be sure, Jesus' body, we know this from the Gospels, Jesus' body had been changed in some way. At first, the disciples didn't recognize him, then they did. His body was Uh, no longer subject to to the limitations of physics in this natural world. For example, he suddenly appeared to his disciples and then he would suddenly disappear from them. But here's the point. When he did appear to his disciples, he still bore the wounds of his crucifixion. And he even ate with them. His body had been raised out of the tomb. It had been changed, yes, but it was still his body. Now, in verses 12 and following, the Apostle Paul makes the point. Jesus' bodily resurrection is the first fruits, that is, the pledge, that is, the guarantee of believers' bodily resurrection. Here he begins to refute those false teachers in Corinth who were denying that the bodies of believers would be raised from the dead. And so Paul asks this question and you can can feel the bite in it. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In other words, Paul is saying that there is such an inextricable, inseparable union. Listen such an inseparable union between Christ and His church, Christ and His bride, Christ and His people redeemed by His blood, that to deny the resurrection of believers' bodies, one would have to deny the resurrection of Jesus Himself. The resurrection of our bodies is part and parcel of Christ's victory over sin and death. If you say that Christ will not, if, if, if we say that believers in Christ will not be raised, well, you may as well say that Christ was not raised. That's Paul's argument. But, writes Paul, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And now again, as we saw last week in Romans 5, Paul makes the connection between Adam and Christ. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. That phrase referring to all those who are in union with Christ through faith in him. You see, in our natural union with Adam... Remember from last Sunday, Romans 5, in our natural union with Adam and everyone has a natural union with Adam, we are dead. But in spiritual union with Christ through faith in him, we shall share in his total victory over sin and death, including the resurrection of our bodies. Just as Jesus' body was raised from the dead, transformed and glorified, so also the bodies of believers will be raised from the dead, transformed and glorified when Christ comes again on the last day. In verses 36 through 49, Paul addresses the kinds of questions which we might have, the very same questions that they had in the first century. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Paul answers by giving analogies from nature. In the natural world, there are different kinds of bodies. Human bodies, animal bodies, celestial bodies, earthly bodies. God, in his sovereignty, designs them all. A kernel of wheat doesn't look like wheat, but it is, in fact, wheat in a different form. If God can make wheat to sprout forth from a dead kernel, can he not raise a new body out of a dead corpse? And don't miss the point here. There is a connection and a continuity between the kernel of wheat and the stalk of wheat. The two things are not completely different and they are not disconnected from one another. The kernel of wheat contains the wheat. The stalk of wheat springs forth out of the kernel of wheat. Now perhaps more vividly for us, just imagine the mighty oak tree that is contained within the tiny acorn. That towering oak out there, that towering oak Was in the tiny acorn. Better than that, that towering oak is the tiny acorn. That towering oak is the tiny acorn raised from the dead. Now, that's just an analogy from nature. It's just an illustration, but it makes the point and it helps us just a little bit to grasp hold of the mystery. And it is a mystery. Paul calls it a mystery, a mystery which will occur in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? Victory, total, unconditional victory, final victory, eternal victory over sin, death, and the grave through Jesus Christ our Lord. That final, total, unconditional, eternal victory is to be revealed in our resurrection from the dead. The redemption of our bodies when our bodies will be raised and made like the glorious body of our Lord Jesus Christ and therefore Romans eight eighteen, memorize it. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. That's victory, brothers and sisters. That's victory, the victory of the gospel which God gives to everyone who has Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Perhaps you've heard me say at the graveside quoting the shorter catechism, the souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. Yes, when believers die, their souls go to heaven. There is no purgatory. There is no reincarnation. There is uh, no dissolution into the cosmic unconsciousness. When believers die, their souls are made perfect in holiness and immediately pass into heaven. The scripture says to live is Christ and to die is gain. And to depart and be with Christ is far better. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And yes, As he was dying on the cross, Jesus said to the repentant thief on the cross, truly, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. When a believer dies, his or her soul is made perfect in holiness and does immediately pass into glory. Now, your soul is the you who lives inside of you. The person you talk to When you talk to yourself, your soul is the thinking, feeling, willing, choosing, conscious person who is you. Now, imagine. Imagine you. Imagine me made perfect in holy. Means is no longer afflicted with a sinful nature, no longer even tinged with sin, no longer susceptible to the temptations of Satan, no longer allured by deceitful desires. Now, just imagine, imagine yourself. Unable, unable to think an unkind thought. Unable to speak a malicious word. Imagine, imagine yourself, imagine me without ever feeling a selfish impulse, without ever having a sinful, desire can you imagine imagine you imagine you free completely free from pride envy anger greed gluttony sloth and lust imagine your personality perfectly purified from all of that imagine your personality imagine 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 my personality With all those irritating quirks and rough edges, redeemed and polished in a way so that they they give glory to God and they actually bring joy to your redeemed brother and sister in heaven. Imagine having a soul that cannot sin, a soul in perfect happiness in the presence of Christ and all his redeemed souls, a sinless soul in a world of perfect love. That is what theologians call the intermediate state, going to heaven when we And brothers and sisters, may God grant us grace to believe it more than we do and therefore not fear death. It is real. There is consciousness. There is real life. Of the soul there is peace and joy and communion with God and his people. We will know and be known there is the beauty of heaven beyond all imagining and the glory of the risen Christ to behold. Please, would you please do away with, would you please have nothing to do with all of the cartoonish and I should say blasphemous notions of heaven. Be done with it. And prepare your hearts to worship before the throne. But this intermediate state of our souls in heaven is not the final state. Hmm. Hmm. Too often, uh, have we Christians forgotten? Have we, have, we, have we become like the Corinthians, some of them who, who began to doubt? Who, who began to say that our bodies would not be raised from the dead. Listen, our bodies are, are, are very much a part of who we are. I mean, our, our identity is, is inseparably connected to our body. God created us as, as bodily creatures. Have we forgotten? Have we ceased to believe? Have, have we adopted some false teaching that says our bodies won't be raised? But our bodies will be raised by the supernatural power of God. Raised from the dead, will be changed, transformed, made like Christ's glorious body. As the scripture says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable, what is sown in dishonor, death, and decay is raised in glory sharing in the glory of Christ himself. It is sown in weakness, subject to bondage, to corruption. It is raised in power, resurrection power. It is sown a natural body, a body of natural power for natural life in this old natural creation. It is raised a spiritual body, a body of spiritual power, a body empowered by the Holy Spirit for life in the new creation. Yes, the scripture teaches us that when Christ comes again, when he brings the kingdom in all of its fullness and glory, when the new creation is unfurled in all of its splendor and wonder, God will raise our bodies miraculously and mysteriously from the dead and we shall be changed and our sinless souls will be reunited with our glorified bodies and we will live forever with God and his redeemed people in full fellowship with him and in his new creation this is what we want this is what we want this is the longing of your heart because this is what we were made for to live forever in fellowship with god and the people we love in a creation free from evil sin and death and it will be you in christ You, redeemed and renewed, you will be you, but it will be the new and true you, no longer beset and broken by sin, no longer subject to disease and decay. Every wound, every wound, physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual, By his wounds, we are healed. Every wound will be healed. Everything sad will become untrue for those who set their happiness on Jesus Christ. And there will be real continuity of your personality. You will be the specific person you are now except with a soul that cannot sin and a body that cannot die. And based on the gospel accounts of Jesus' resurrection body that was the same but changed, I think we might, on good grounds, say that yes, our physical earthly bodies will, there will be some continuity. There will be, in some sense, some recognizability Of our new and glorified bodies in the new creation. But we need not worry ourselves about that. It will be you. It will be you. The new you. The true you. Healed. Forever. And your loved ones in Christ? Yes. Will be restored to you. Your great-great-great-great-grandchildren who lived and died in faith whom you never knew in this world will greet you. How about that? And whatever pure happiness pleasing to God that you had in this world will be infinitely multiplied there. You know, brothers and sisters, sometimes I hear professing Christians speak as though... They're afraid they won't be as happy in heaven and in the new creation as they are here. Come on, brothers and sisters. You cannot imagine the joy of the new creation. There's nothing on earth that can compare. This, dear brothers and sisters, is eternal life this is the victory of the gospel of Jesus Christ as the great hymn says Jesus lives and so shall I death has lost its sting forever what that means beloved what it means is that your life on earth matters to God Your life, your whole life, body and soul is precious to God and is part of his eternal purpose for his eternal kingdom. There will be a continuity of your life on earth and your life in eternity. What you do with your life now matters for all eternity. A life lived for Jesus Christ is never lived in vain. For all eternity. Because it's it's really going to be you and your life which is raised and redeemed. There will be a continuity into eternity. For all eternity, faithful Christian, you will be known. Yes, you will. You will be known and affirmed as the person who served the Lord in this way or that. Every kind word. Every loving deed every self-sacrifice in service to someone else, every word of truth, every act of compassion, every hand of help, every prayer offered, every duty faithfully fulfilled, every menial task done with joy, every wound of persecution endured courageously, every word of witness for Jesus Christ, everything, every exercise of your spiritual gifts, every endeavor to advance the kingdom of God in this world, every good work in true faith, all of it, the totality of your life, body and soul will be raised, redeemed and rewarded forever. That is the reason that the Apostle Paul concludes this chapter on Christ's resurrection and ours with this encouraging exhortation. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. No, dearly beloved in Christ, a life lived for Jesus Christ is never lived in vain because Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised on the third day. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. To God be the glory, let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we rejoice in You, our great God and Savior, who through Jesus Christ our Lord has swallowed up death forever and has granted us the victory of life everlasting in Him. May Your Holy Spirit apply this word to our hearts and transform our lives so that even now on earth we may live as those who have been raised from the dead to live forever to the glory of your name. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In response to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith, the faith of the one true church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world, as we say together, the Apostles' Creed. Christian... I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.